Sup, everybody. This is Carrick with ACG, and welcome to episode nine of the ACG and D podcast. It's crazy to me. Episode nine, we're actually doing incredibly well looking at the numbers. I am stunned how we always have a certain particular turnout for the podcast that I do, whether it be a review, whether it be the Friday podcasts, which are very good on their own. But here, doing a role-playing one, I just didn't expect for this many people to show up. The most we've had for total listens across Patreon, across the various different places, and sort of touches where you can tell that somebody's listened to a certain particular amount of it is 20K, 20,000 people. That is crazy. We usually average less than 10, but above 7, which to me, on a role-playing podcast is beyond breathtaking. It's something that you're breathtaking. Sorry, it's beyond anything that I could have comprehended. So I want to say thank you to all of you guys. And as you guys know, I'm not sponsored. Somebody came up at me yesterday and they were all over me and they were like, how dare you? How dare you say that you're not sponsored every single video? How dare you waste my time saying that? And for the first time ever, not for the first time ever, for the first time ever this year, I should say, I talked somebody into being a into a into being a patron by the response, which I basically said, "How dare you ever, ever, ever let me do the same thing as people who are sponsored do every time you listen to a video? Every single time you listen to a video and somebody says they're sponsored, just pretend that every single time you listen to me and I say I'm not, that's well, pretty much the exact same thing. I'm just basically saying I'm sponsored by me." And no lie, the person jumped into the Discord and they ended up becoming a patron. They were like, you know what? I never thought of it that way. Like I listen to people talk about ads all the time. And sometimes he sits through ads. And he was like, but I just never thought about you saying that. I always thought you were saying that you're better than everybody else. And of course I am because I just am better than everybody else. I'm joking. Of course I'm not. But, you know, it's something that I will continue to uh, to discuss, you know, unless we get a really good sponsor. But you guys know me. I don't really like doing sponsors. They always feel beholden. There's a couple I've enjoyed, you know, like Spotify or iTunes themselves. But after you get out of that and you start talking about somebody's, you know, items and stuff, it's always so uncomfortable where you have to pretend you like something. Because even the stuff I love, I don't really like a lot. You guys get me. Like, I love something and then later I like it a little bit and then I sort of love it and then I start to hate it and then I like it a little bit. It's like my food. I'll take a burger one day and I'll be like, man, this is scrump diddlyumptious. This is the best goddamn thing ever. I would gladly just get two pieces of white bread, put them over a live cow in a field and munch on that bitch. And then the next day, not even in the mood for food. And it sounds so weird, but it actually bothers me if I hear the older, uh, you know, podcast, there was one about black tux. I had great experiences with black tux. And then about, uh, two or three weeks. No, it was more like two or three months after that sponsorship ended. One of my friends had a really bad experience with him. And I was like, mm, you know, I'm glad I'm not there, uh, you know, doing their sponsorship for the podcast anymore. But at the same time, I was like, I want to go remove those sons of bitches, but that's enough about that. I want to say welcome to the person that I talked to. You're listening to this podcast, I'm sure of it, and I want to say how much I appreciate it. So I put out questions out there and I said, hey guys, if you have any questions about role-playing, if you have anything you want to talk about when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons, Ravenloft, World of Darkness, uh, Warhammer 40,000, Warhammer Fantasy role-play, any kind of old-style games, the sorcery choose-your-own-adventure books, I will be here to talk to you about it. And if I don't know about it, I'll read up on it, and we'll talk about it the next week. We have a couple different topics, and we're going to cover a little bit more about creating a character. As you guys know, the links will be in the description of this podcast. I've created a character already, Joshua Meadows. 
you should be able to see the link to the character sheet as well as some snippets and some data on the creation of that character using idioms for your attributes. And we're going to talk a little bit more about how to walk newer people through gaming. But I want to answer some questions that I got and just jump into them right away. If you guys want to continue to support the channel, by all means, review this podcast. Review it on iTunes. You can do so by clicking on, well, there's somewhere there you can review. And on most places you can. I think Spotify you can't and a couple others. Of course, you can subscribe as well. So the question I got is cold. New account, I'm still alive, it says. That's his name. Tips for new DMs, especially for groups where all players are new, including the DM. That was hard for us when we decided to try it out as a group. Had multiple failures because we were like, this isn't fun. Until we finally got through a game, four tries in, and it clicked. First thing, Cole, this might be new because I believe you are a new follower. I haven't seen that uh, haven't seen that Twitter. So I'll just say this. I did cover exactly that in a podcast two times ago, I believe, where I covered jumping in for newcomers. But I can retread a bit of that quickly. But you can definitely go back. You can look at the descriptions for these podcasts and you can see where I discuss this. But for new DMs, what I always tell people is make sure you all have a general agreement of of how things are going to be to get you past the role plane and the role plane, the R-O-L-E and the R-O-L-L. First things up, you need to talk to everybody and be like, hey, man, what kind of, you know, what kind of tactics do you want? What kind of strategy? What kind of different number crunching do you want? Because if you want something that's got a lot of moves on top of moves and strategies on top of strategies and perfection in its movement and miniatures, that's one thing. If you want something that's more grandiose and a little bit seat of your pants, a little bit R-O-L-E, a little bit theater, as you will, then that's a different kind of game. And I would say I wasted, and a lot of people don't have this time, I wasted probably a full game session where we were, you know, when we were first getting going, and I can remember this back in 84, everybody discussing like, what do we want from this? Because even when the Red Book came out and, or, or the Red Box came out and, you know, they were talking about all those things, everybody was already sort of knew there was role playing in between. It's so funny because we've done D&D for years since there was nothing else but D&D, right? And a couple house rules. And before anybody thought it was cool to change house rules to hacking because they wanted to be cool. I don't know if you guys know that, but that's how that came about. It's basically just a term to make people feel cooler about house rules. But when house rules came about, and we were already role-playing R-O-L-E. We were already doing a little bit of that discussion in between. You know, that, uh, do you want to track this? Do you want to track that? Do you want to track your meal? You know, those kind of things. Because they already were stating, even in those old books, some some stuff that was occurring and some flavor text. And of course, later on, it got even better. But I would say, decide on that. And then once you decide on if you want something that's more of, let's say, almost a video game style where you're moving by a particular amount of feet, everything's sort of locked in. Well, then, you know, look up some some D&D forums or you can ask again here and I can walk you through. Maybe what I'll do is I'll do the top three and three that I like. The top three, you know, R-O-L-E kind of role-playing games and the top three R-O-L-L kind of role-playing games. And I can guarantee you Warhammer is going to be in there and so is World of Darkness. In fact, I'll just say this. They're both, they're on two sides of the coin, really. So... Let me give you an example. Let's say you guys decide you want a bit crunchy. And I wouldn't even call this crunchy, by the way, because the general statistic is the easiest that anybody can understand. Warhammer Fantasy roleplay or anything with a 1D100. I mean, every most everybody knows 1 to 100, right? Most everybody. And the cool thing about a game like that is you have a lot of variation. So, for example, if somebody's weapon skill is 23 and somebody else's weapon skill is 33, 
10 difference, but on a 1D100, that's actually somewhat noticeable and could indicate something that has a little bit more of a varied flair to it than 1D20. One, in fact, one of the issues I have is the smaller your dice begins to sort of crunch down, the more of the variability feels like it crunches down. It's not always, but feels like it crunches down. And the more time a game sort of spins on giving you flashy combat cards or something like that, and you may have heard a little bit of my sarcasm, but I've always felt that when that kind of stuff starts to happen, you're probably making up for a rule system that may have some, not issues, but may have skewed one particular way. And what you're doing is pretending that there's no complexity, but you're actually putting the complexity somewhere else, like tracking combat cards you get and some statistic that allows for you to actually track those. So Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which uh, is on, on its third edition, I think, and right now is technically not really continued, I don't think, but it's a gr it's a great one. Tons and tons and tons of, of modules and stories and adventure books and very easy rules. Uh, you know, it's like weapon school, if you're fighting somebody else, weapon skill against defensive skill. I mean, it's so simple. And yet at the same time, when a skill adds a plus five or a plus 10, you feel it. You're like, oh shit, you know, I'm the the chance of hitting 50% of the time in a human brain, right? We always say we understand 50-50, right? So let's say you don't add any other modifiers for you're on the high ground or you've stunned the guy, so you get a plus 10. Let's say you're at 50-50. That's one thing. But when somebody says there's a 60-40 chance, imagine if you were like gonna go out on a date with a girl and you're like, there's a 50-50 chance she'll like me. That seems just random, which technically to the way the human brain works, that is random. But there is a 50% chance she'll like you. But when it's 60-40, suddenly you're like, hey man, what can I do to raise that up a little bit? That's why I like 1D100s. They just, they work for me. It's it's such an easy way. And I can say plus 15% uh, bonus, plus 10%, minus five, you know, whatever in my brain and get it all worked out really quick. The other side, the ROLE side, it's still crunchy though, strangely enough, though people pretend it's not, is dice pools like World of Darkness. And what they do is you have a skill or an attribute, let's say you have strength and you got three dots in strength. That indicates three 10-sided dice. So you grab three 10-sided dice from your pool. You have them in your hand. And let's say strength, and you're going to try to smash somebody with an axe. So instead of doing something finesse-wise, you're just going to go with your... We'll just we'll pretend. We'll call it axe skill. It's not that, but let's pretend it is. And your axe skill is two. You take two more, and now you have five. And you have these five dice, and you roll against a difficulty. Let's say the difficulty is much more difficult than you would assume. Let's say you're trying to do a power strike against somebody fast, so the DM does some quick math in their head, which additionally is where some of the crunch is hidden in a World of Darkness game. And I don't care what anybody says. I've talked with people for years. This is my favorite games. There is still crunch there because you're removing the crunch from one person, and you're sort of shifting it off. And where that crunch pops up is when a character is attacking, let's say, a bad guy. And if the DM made that bad guy as a character, they have their own skills and their own pluses. And they have to figure all this out. So anyway, you've got these dice. You've got these five dice. And they say roll and your difficulty six. Meaning you have to roll those dice and you count. And the sixes, any six, seven, eights, nines, or tens are successes. And below or not with ones in many games being botches. mean they remove a success. So the issue there is it looks simple, but then you start rolling a, a lot of dice. And then at times in contested movements, another person's rolling a lot of dice. And then sometimes you have botches, which are doing something completely different. 
you get my drift. But anyway, I still consider it more of a role playing because they have some side mechanics I absolutely love. For instance, when I first got into uh, World of Darkness, and guys, anybody here is probably going like, I wish he'd stop talking about this. But one of the best parts I liked in those games was the ability to burn a particular statistic. And at the time, for werewolves, it was rage, meaning you watch somebody go down, you watch your best friend, you know, get hit and get shot. You, uh, you get absolutely smashed by some kind of weapon that not only hurts, but let's say it burns it a aggravates and causes you angst. And there's ways for you to get rage in different ways. And your rage goes up and you're able to burn that rage to do things. Like for example, just out of a movie, right? The, the hero gets beat up and the bad guy stands over him and he's like, when I'm done with you, I'm going to get your family and I'm going to fucking throw them off a cliff or whatever. And the bad guy's like, never like Luke. And suddenly you've burned some rage and now you're stronger. Imagine Empire Strikes Back. In fact, what happens in Empire Strikes Back? And this is one of the things you'll see me doing here soon uh, where I take some movie. Well, I don't want to give away the secret, but there's a pretty cool video project I have. But if you look at Empire Strikes Back, Luke and Vader are fighting. Vader's pretty much winning. And then Luke sort of talks him a little bit and, or sorry, Vader does. And Vader sort of wins that battle. He sort of almost in a way just confuses Luke. He causes issues and then of course gets him out on the edge. But if you watch Return of the Jedi, Luke and Vader are fighting and Luke is like, I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to fight you. And then Vader says something and you see Luke's rage go up. He burns some rage and now he's strong and he beats Vader. And that's sort of what rage is. But anyway, those are the two. I would say you got to make sure what you want to play. You got to make sure. That's me slapping my hand. That's not me hitting the mic. I'm trying to keep my hands away from the mic. Nobody's bitched, but I have a tendency to tap it. So it's a big deal, guys. You got to make sure everybody agrees on what they're looking for. You know, rules light, rules heavy, um, lots of roles in a small amount of time. In fact, ask them this, you know, do you want a game where the role playing is within the adventure itself, within the camaraderie of the characters and the coming together of a group to do battle against the bad guys, right? That's what matters. That's the sweetness. That's the shit right there. Or is it more about, you know, just getting to the battle and suddenly the strategies come up and it's more like a chess game where you're all, okay, I'm going to wait. I'm going to burn these two points so I can do this and go five feet this way and then three feet this way. And then I'm going to flank for a plus one. It all depends. Next up, Alex says, my friend is making his own D and D campaign. Good for him. Tell him I said hello and good job. And it's kindly invited me never done anything at all to do with D and D. What is your advice to those new to tabletop games? Um, so Alex, he's, you say he's kindly invited you. I can't tell if you mean to do the game with him, to help him prepare for the game or to play. I'm going to give you two brief ones. I'm going to assume you mean to play because you say you've never done this before. But if you don't, and he means to create something, it's very difficult to co-create a D&D &D world um, easily. In fact, in fact, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman have talked about Dragonlance and putting that together. And, you know, not necessarily a friction that comes up, but some people have a certain way of thinking. And in fact, a lot of times people will work together and somebody say, okay, I'll do the lands. I, I like to talk about the land and the geography and the, and the deities, blah, blah, blah. But you like to create the races, right? Or species as they're now calling them. You like to do that. And sometimes you come together with that. I would say if that's what you're talking about, um, then, you know, find some small thing that he's okay with you making yours and go ahead and make it. But I think what you're saying is you're going to be brand new to this. So here's the thing. You say D&D, &D, so we're going to stick with the assumption that that's d and I would say understand the DM that you're playing with. If that, and, and 
hopefully he's open to communication. But if this DM is somebody who is going to be rolling perfectly all the time and demanding to know resources and encumbrance all the time, which strangely enough, guys, a lot of people don't want to do encumbrance. You know, you don't give a shit if the fucking stable of bananas in your back is slowing you down. So what I would do is I would ask him, you know, I would say, what exactly are your thought processes? Is this, uh, is this battle? Does he get excited about battles? Does he get excited about battle games, board games? Is he a rules lawyer, not a rules lawyer? You know, he's making his own D&D campaign. My assumption is most of us who make our own D&D campaign, um, if it's a campaign and not a world, but a campaign, that usually allows a little bit more free form and they might not be as more as as much of a rules lawyer as a person who says they're making their own D&D world. Which, by the way, if you meet somebody like myself who's making their own D&D world, that is... It's those are that's crazy because it's it's not only the narrative part, it's also the rules, making sure things fit, making sure even yearly timelines work. For example, if you say this volcano exploded and two months later, these people were living in the fucking mouth of the volcano and stuff like that, you know, or at the edge of the volcano where the lava had just went down. It doesn't take very long before people start going, well, wait a minute, that wouldn't work. You know, you'd need a hundred years for that to be a place that's, well, it wouldn't be a hundred years. It'd be more like, you know, 10 to 15, but you'd need 10 to 15 for that area to be sustainable. Um, and for, let's say a small forest or some trees to have grown in that, you know what I mean? So you start getting that kind of scientific shit, but he's talking, it sounds like campaign. So I would just ask him, I would just try to figure out what they like. And if you can give me more data in the next podcast about what they like, I can give you more. I would just say, you know, pay attention to what's important to the DM. If they're tracking everything, then you're going to have to sort of sit back and track everything. If they're okay with it being rules light and they say something like, yeah, I don't care about encumbrance or I don't care about this, then you know what, man, go with it. And I'll say this most important, no matter how much of a dick they are to you, treat your co-players nicely. You got to have a good group dynamic you got to treat the DM nicely. That person's there. They've created something and they're, and it, it can be devastating if you've created something and people aren't enjoying it or digging it. It can suck if there's one player who's making everybody uncomfortable. Don't be that dude. Next up is Joel. How well does Cyberpunk 2077 translate to tabletop? You know, so, man, this is weird. There's a lot of back and forth on Cyberpunk right now, actually, in the forums and just amongst some of my friends in the discords. So I would say with Cyberpunk 2077... It translates Cyberpunk 2077 as a world fairly well. But because of all the issues with Cyberpunk itself, it's got lost in this sort of discussion, right? It sort of got all it sort of got all confused in the discussion of the issues with the game and what they wanted to actually what they wanted to actually get you interested in and get you to care about. And 2077 is a slightly different world than the prior ones. So different time frame. So they're trying to like, they're trying to show a, a, a change in a, a world that can age and stuff like that. But I don't think they've done the best job uh, role-playing wise. Narratively, I think they're fine. But I got to say their rule system, it's not bad. I've played bad rule systems like Rifts, mind you. By the way, it's terrible. If you have somebody telling you Rifts rule systems are good, you can most likely assume that they are committing treason of some kind against a nation state. I would say it's okay at best when it comes to the rules. But again, Cyberpunk 2077, the game, didn't display the rules very well either. Joel also says, thanks, Brosef. I've never personally played a tabletop campaign of Cyberpunk, but played a fuck ton of 2077, so I'm curious. I would say this. Don't worry, you know, don't worry so much about if you like the narrative, 
I'll just switch again. If you like the narrative, get them and jump into them anyway, because you can always adjust those things. Also, by the way, guys, Cyberpunk 27 is delish, right? It's a cool world. A lot of people like it, regardless of the issues with the game. I will say this. There are like nine very good cyberpunk D&D worlds with full full rule sets of all kinds, with stuff completely built up. There's one, I believe it's called The Void. I could be wrong, but there's one, there's two in particular that I really like. One called Noir something. It might be called Noir Punk. And that one's really good, and it's more like cyberpunk. But then, but then... There's one called, um, again, I think this is called The Void. Oh, I don't have the book in front of me. But it's one that not only has the frigging like, world itself you would normally be in, but they have different rules for AR and VR, virtual reality. Like different avatars. and I mean, that shit's fucking crazy. And they the rules aren't even identical to the real world rules. So there's a lot going on in that. But additionally... A shit ton. Go to RPG drive through I don't have a code, so I'm not spamming it. No affiliates. If you want to use my affiliate code, you can for Amazon. But uh, I would say check those out. Check out some side ones because, guys, here's the thing. Here's the, here's the juice, man. If you like one of these game worlds, fuck it. Buy the book, right? Or, or the PDF from RPG. Buy the damn thing and fucking put your own rules in it, man. Put your own rules in it. Just be like, dude, we're going 1D100 on this. And I get, I can guarantee you somebody online, if you say, how do you, by the way, this is for real. If you say, how do you translate a 1D6 game to a 1D20 game or 1D6 game to a 1D100 game? Everyone, everyone has given 50,000 answers. It will not be something you will have that much of it. And it may sound like it's hard, but I got to tell you to just, if you just want to enjoy the narrative, which is already what's causing you to get a cyberpunk, you know, you're getting it, you're enjoying the narrative, but you're just not loving the rules. Switching those rules will be far less difficult than trying to work through to enjoy the narrative because you do not like the rules. Trust me on that. Fucking started playing when I in 84 and I've had enough experiences and I don't think any experienced DM would tell you different. And looking at Discord, Cadiz had asked this a while ago. He said, how do you assist your players <clears throat> to play as true to their character and the theme they've created? Uh, Cadiz has played with me a lot in real life um, because he lives right near me. I would say, what do we do? You know, I think with us, and I say us because there's almost no game he's the only games he has never come to would be one-offs um, and it's rare because he's almost always available for that kind of stuff we know a good ahead, a way ahead of time but I, I would say most of the time what we do is just making sure that somebody has a trait or two a nature and demeanor and a goal or two one of the things that I've done and we created this man it was probably about 20 years ago I think where we started doing uh three short terms equaling a long-term goal. And that really helped us role play. So you'd have these short-term goals like, and you just think about them almost like a journal where you'd be like, what's my short-term goal? To hang with the crew. That's fine, right? That's social. Hang with the crew. To to buddy up. To get a little bit better with the, with the group that's adventuring. But the second might be something like um, to find in this next city somebody who may be a good private investigator because maybe their father's been missing. And the third one may be something completely unrelated or related to that. But then the long-term one would be something along, you know, tracking down their father, that kind of stuff. And what we found was as you're checking off these goals, very small goals, they always gave you something to role play when there was a downtime. So let's say you come into town. A lot of people have issues with towns or traveling for two reasons. They don't know how to make them interesting. 
They just don't. They don't know how to make them interesting. And admittedly, for some people, they aren't. But I would say for the majority, they can be very interesting. You have to figure out how. What we do is we give ourselves, like I said, goals. So the goal for getting along would mean one character would ask the other character questions, right? The one character may maybe had a skill in some D&D games. For us in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, if you are 50 percentage points above somebody else, you could train them. You could train them up to five uh, experience points. So we would have players talking about ancient battles they were in while they were sword fighting with the person who's just learning how to sword fight and train them. And you just have this awesome moment where, and this is not an exaggeration. There's a, there's a game that's like Dune and... Dune and fucking, I don't even know how to describe it. A couple other, almost World of Darkness mixed together. And it was called Fading Suns. And in Fading Suns, there was a lot of these noble houses or groups that traveled the star systems. But they were much like Dune, where they had families, the Al-Hazat and some others. And one of my friends, Noah, and another friend, Jimmy, and then Josh and Roger, they all had different skills at different levels. So they were training. And no lie, sometimes when we get together to talk about role-playing, we bring that up. And that sounds so weird because in a lot of games, I always see people getting into this odd moment where it's always a battle they remember. It's always like, remember when I killed that orc? Well, if you kill a thousand orcs, it's difficult to know who 816 was versus 212, right? But if you all remember that time, which I do remember, where we're sitting out near these falls that were about 25 times the size of Niagara Falls. They were on a uh, they were on an alien planet with slightly different gravity and they were ruled by an alien race that really didn't accept humans. They allowed them, they were always watching them and they allowed them to do their things and they had these beautiful locations and our team was there to get a contract, of course, doing piracy, right? Doing bad guy stuff. And we show up and we're waiting for our contact. Now, in a lot of games, somebody would say, Okay, how long do you want to wait? We want to wait this amount of time. And then at that point, maybe people, depending on your game level, are, you know, cutting off rations and saying we've ate or, or you know, done whatever. But we, and I'll ask them, I'll say, hey, guys, does this, you know, can we role play this? Is this okay? You know, and they'll say yes. And we'll be like, okay, man, let's train somebody. And so we had this time where like Noah and there was Rich and Fred, Josh, uh, these are all real life friends and Roger. And they had this time where they were just doing this sword fighting on this massive like deck on in an opulent hotel overlooking these massive alien falls and talking as they were going about the difference between the Alhazat's family and how they dealt with battle and what they thought of personal honor versus the other, which I believe were the Malik. I believe so. Or the Hawkwood. It might have been the Hawkwood who are even more in the, they're sort of the fake nobility. Well, they're noble, but you, you get my drift. They're a little bit, they've been in command too long. And guys, it was awesome. It was fantastic. It was just such a great time. And that was built by putting in some goals in place that could have been done by a role, but instead were done by role playing. And that's the choice. And we had those goals there. And anytime, so the goal might have been for Noah, train with Josh. Josh's might have been train Noah. So they both fulfill a goal. They both get to role play it, but now they get to build their characters, right? And they can do a, a they can do a goal that's outside of the game narrative. They can say, I want to decide who my mentor was if they don't know, but that's not really a proper goal. Proper goals are usually thrust into the game narrative at times, either as a role or role playing. Uh, but it, what it did was it fleshed it out. So while they were talking, they were making the world, by the way, because yes, most people who play a D&D &D game 
who have adventure books and source books will try to stick the material, right? You'll try to stick to it, but you can't always stick perfectly to it because you may not have the source book for it. You may not know what this planet is because they've just said there's this alien planet and that's what happened here. So what I decided was, I decided I'm gonna mix this fucker up, man. This planet is basically, imagine the seven wonders of the world times 1 billion, right? That's what it is. It's an alien race that has taken the best parts of all of the planets that they've ever gone to and they can geomod their planet. So it is a planet of wonder for every race. Any race that sees it are like, oh my God, it's, it's every race or species pyramids, but when they were brand new. And so we're there and they remember that as a time because they had a goal and they were able to check that goal off. And it may, if it, if it helped them with their third goal, great. If not, they just decided as quickly as possible what another goal would be. And, uh, it worked great. And you always give people experience points. That's one of the things that Cadiz knows y'all like I give equal experience points for role playing as making roles. So if you kill a, a creature, that's great. And especially if you use skill, that's great. But if you talk and you further the story's narrative and build that world, which is what they did, because as they were talking about names and, you know, somebody would just be like my great, great grandfather. And he would think for a second and he would make up a name. And I just jot that down and be like, now I can take this string. I can take this simple name and I can string it out when, when they're not there or now string it out into something like, did he continue that noble trade? Was Noah the person who looking up to him, was he right? Or was this guy a bad guy? You know, what do I want to do with that? What, what behind the scenes, maybe he was a jackass, right? And you can do all that. And that's world building right then. And guess what? You know, because Noah brought up the name and brought up the training and brought all that up. You know that that's important to the gamer, which means if it's important to the gamer, then what you can do is jot it down. And I got to tell you, you will get jaw drop moments when you bring something up, the gamer mentioned once and you just, you just move on. They don't think anything of it. And suddenly you're like, you know, the guy who's been chasing, imagine this, this is not what happened, but imagine this, they do their job of piracy. They're together, but the bad guys find out that they're the pirates and they're sending somebody after them. And these guys have been hounding them across the star systems. And finally they go through a jump gate, the fucking jump gate drives, die. This fucking vessel comes through the jump gate and it's like, we're going to board you. If you fucking fight us, we're going to destroy you. And the guys are like, God, what do we do? Well, we're screwed. They let the people in and it's his, it's his uncle, right? Like that right there is what would make somebody like Noah. And maybe Noah's like, God, I thought he died. And you're like, obscure death rule, baby. He didn't die. And here we go. Here we go. And you light the fire under your own narrative. Fuji's asking a question. What's, uh, what's more important, immersion or fun? I think he's probably talking about video games, um, but he's saying how to balance them. And so he might be talking about D&D as well. I would say with immersion and fun, again, it's knowing your group. Immersion can be fun and fun can be immersive as long as you know your group. And that's the most important thing. As long as you know the people. And if it's a short-term group, if you're just sitting down to play a game, which by the way, works as well, then be flexible. That's the most important thing. Be flexible. Cadiz says, what's your favorite progression system for skills? So, you know, I love Warhammer. But Fading Suns was also good, and so were the World of Darkness games. Anything that allows you to basically build it on your own without grabbing a shit ton of books is probably the best, because I think that that's where they get you. Really, when you look at it, class books are the DLC 
and the demonetiz or the monetization of D and D games. They really are, guys. They're really shit. So I would say anything that allows you to sort of do it right then. And Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay allowed for that. War World of Darkness does as well. A lot of games do, but I would say overall, um, probably, yeah, World of Darkness or Warhammer. Paco asks, D&D, &D, as a player and not a DM, though I'm considering doing it, how should I generate interest in a campaign? Is being a DM a requisite when there's not interest in a friend group? Um, okay, so that's actually a good question. We're just going to say that the easy question or the easy answer to that, Paco, is yes. Uh, somebody, being, somebody being a DM is requisite. You can actually hire DMs. You can actually do that. And a lot of people wouldn't even need you to hire them. A lot of people will run a channel or whatever. If you start talking to them, maybe they'll they'll do it. But I would say the that's the problem when it comes to being a player, being a DM, and generating interest is a lot of times with role playing, it requires a little bit more than a video game. Let me let me explain that real quick. Consider source books and world books like the lore tab in a video game. Few people go to it. That's just the honest truth. That's just the honest truth. How many times have you got an encyclopedia in a game and you don't go to that tab? Most of us don't. That's just the honest truth, guys. Most people don't click the encyclopedia tab and read two pages of shit. They just don't. I mean, there's been video games where they tracked that and they were like less than 0.01% of people fucking looked at that stuff. That's just the way it is. And it's okay. And only certain gamers are going to click that tab. And that's what happens with D&D gamers is there's that extra tab of, of interest. They, they want to take a step into a more difficult zone because even the easiest role-playing game is de facto most likely more difficult than jumping into a game because most games have a tutorial of some kind, even if they suck. They do. But a lot of D&D games just go and look at online tutorials and people will be like, I mean, guys, they're so bad, man. They're so bad. And this is, if anybody's listening who's made one, I apologize. So I just want to make sure. But if you see if you see role-playing ones, they're so bad. They're like, Susan says, there's an A-clove in front of you. And, you know, the fucking shadows are long and blah, 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 blah. And then what do you do? And it's like, okay, seriously? Seriously? What do you do? First of all, what do you do? I guess that could be normally said. But usually at least in all the groups I've ever played, it's a conversation to where the GM, and admittedly, I can talk like a motherfucker, but I'm going to say, admittedly, usually what happens is the GM is giving constant data and they know their character's skills and strengths and what is there. They give constant data until somebody interrupts them. That's pretty much what happens. Now you can say, what do you do? You can, and especially if you have a group that doesn't want to take that step. They don't want to speak first easily. I want to make sure that people understand. You certainly can. But most of the groups I'm with, as you're describing points of interest, then they ask about those points of interest. And there isn't a stop hammer time where you're like, stop. Okay. What do you want to do? You can have that. And I've had it with many groups. I'm just saying for the most part, it's, it's not necessarily like that. And what tutorials do wrong is they have it appear very one, two, three, and it's really, that is okay to do, but it, I would say it breaks down pretty quickly. Let me give you an example of how it could break down and not be a negative to anybody. If you get three people who played even a couple of times, usually you'll get talker, somewhat talkative, not very talkative. That, Or you'll get somebody who loves combat, somebody who thinks combat is okay, and somebody who thinks the narrative part's okay. And then you'll get somebody who loves the narrative, but dislikes the combat, but thinks the travel parts are cool, right? 
So what you'll have is a bounce of interest. You'll have a focus change depending on the location. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to force anybody to do any of those. However, the tutorials don't usually cover that. And D&D is harder because of that. It is harder. And then you see people watching Twitch or something like that. And they go home thinking that's a D&D game. And it's like, listen, there are a couple, by the way. And you guys should know who I'm talking about. Because I've tweeted about a couple D&D uh, streams that I love. Storm... Oh man, is it Storm or Oath something? It's Storm or Oath something. There's a guy I follow. You can see who I follow, I'm sure, on Twitter or on Twitch. But uh, he does a very good D&D game. Probably the best DM I've ever seen because it's more of what I think a normal person sees without the Twitch component, without the viewing component, without the some of the trappings there. And much better than a tutorial. Um, so anyway, back to, you know, sort of getting everybody prepared and stuff for a game, I would say you, you have to find the right people and you have to see if somebody's willing to be a DM and then you decide on the level. So let's say you get three people together and one person says, I'll DM if it's really complex. And another person says, I'll DM if it's really simple. And another person's like fucking Goldilocks. And they say, I'll DM if it's right in the middle. What you guys need to do is then look at the other two players do they like complex in the middle or do they like, let's say narrative. And then what you do is you pick the person where the equal, where the, the opposite group will be the most balanced. Basically. That's usually what we do. Actually, I stated that's usually what we do and I'll leave it in there, but technically it's usually just me as the DM. There's been a couple times where other people have wanted to be the DMS and we've done it, but DMing is really difficult. And I think that usually what happens with them is what they really want and, and they've tried and usually been like, yeah, it wasn't for me as I thought it was. Uh, usually what happens is a lot of times they just want to control a narrative in more detail somewhere. And that's a good player for more narrative detail in your games. That's a person who might light the fire under others to explain and interact with the game world more than you expected. So I was only going to do one or two questions. I did a couple and we're at 37 minutes. So what I'm going to do is give you guys a short topic. We'll talk about that for a moment. And we'll cut this one short. Um, and I'll try to put a time stamp on here at some points, about 37 minutes in where uh, we go to the topic. And I apologize, but it's just, I didn't realize we had that many questions. For me, one of the topics I wanted to talk about is understanding, well, we'll talk about skill systems in particular, because with Joshua Meadows, we created that character. We look at idioms, look at skills, you, sort, or you look at attributes, you sort of create your character. And now you've got these various different idioms that you've used to create the attributes. And one of the questions that came up was, let's say I have a dexterity idiom and it's worth four points, pretty high one, but it's called busy as a bee, right? Busy bee syndrome, busy bee. We've all heard that you're a busy bee, right? It means you're always flitting around. Okay. So the person's dexterity is a busy bee. So we decide it's not just that they're quick on their feet. It's that they're a little bit like Chris Farley at his heaviest, where they're a little jerky in their movements almost, where there's there's a, a, a pent-up energy to them, right? And you could say, if you want, and if you have a darker game, you could say it's a, you know ex-drug use maybe, or current drug use. It depends on whatever game you're going to do. Or you could just say it's a person who's got a really high fucking sense of, uh, of movement that they desire in their life, and they're fidgety. So you get this character. And you decide busy B, this is what I'm going to do. Now, a lot of people have said, do you take busy B as the idiom? And do you let that affect anything? And does one idiom affect another when you're doing skills? And that's a really good question. So let's say we're going to now look at something like guns. 
Now, in a lot of games, guns are handled by various different skills. In D&D, they're handled by one thing, or, you know, crossbows would be. And in some other worlds, they're handled by something else. Now, in World of Darkness, which is usually the easiest for me to describe because most of the things are one-word descriptions, uh, you use perception plus firearms to shoot a gun meaning your perception of sort of your spatial perception and then the firearms themselves, your ability to understand how to hold the gun and your training with it, one to five for both to decide what your skill is, right? So so when somebody's getting ready to shoot, it's like perception plus firearms, right? Pretty simple. And everybody knows that over a period of time. There are some skills, though, that will allow for you to use different skills if, you know, in some way you've decided to shoot with just your feet. But whatever, we're not going to go there. So what the question was, was when they're choosing their perception and they roll for an idiom, does that idiom affect or is it affected by dexterity? And one of the things I always say is no, unless it makes total sense. And the reason why is this, let's say you got busy B, right? Let's say you got busy B as your idiom for dexterity or no, let's say you got it for your idiom as perception. Let's change it. So we're about firearms. I said dexterity. I apologize. Let's say it's, 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 it's perception, meaning you're always looking around, right? You're quick to move. Uh, you're, you're, you, maybe you explain it to the DM is I'm always the guy got my back against the fucking wall, looking at the door, but I've never been attacked. I'm just almost, I'm not paranoid, you know, but I'm always like looking around. And when somebody walks into the room, they'll always notice me looking at them as if almost, as if almost tagging them as being nearby. And by the way, I am one of those people that people will say, man, when you're in a room, you can see because I tag people. I'm sort of like, I know where this person is. And there's various different reasons. Everybody's different. So you got perception and you got busy B and then you get strong as an ox, right? For your, your, your gunfire for your guns. And you're like, well, how the fuck does that work for your firearms? It doesn't have to work. You can do a couple things. Strong as an ox could simply mean that you are going to choose that your firearm specialty is a shotgun. That's it. Or a slug firing weapon. The strong as an ox will simply come down to the fact that as you've been firing guns, you have found that the heavier bore weapons are what you like. And you can choose that. You can go with that. Nothing should ever be set in stone. But those two can be at cross paths. And there's a reason why. The skills, right? The skills themselves will never override the attributes. The attributes can simply basically inform the skill. So with a low perception, a low firearms is going to suck, right? It is going to suck. And you can have really, really high firearms and still with a low perception, other things in the game world are going to affect you. But firearms is only used when, when you're fucking shooting a gun. Or you can use firearms for like the history of firearms, You could, depending on the D&D game. So the attributes, the most important. So I always tell people, you know, focus on that. When you get to the, you know, some people don't even want to do or want to do idioms for the, for the skills. And I'm like, Hey, I'd rather roll an idiom, see where it goes or put some points on it and see what it makes me feel. But if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Now with world of darkness, they did something I really liked. Basically, if you have three points out of five in World of Darkness, you can add a specialty, which basically gives you a plus one in one situation or another. Four points is another and five points is another. I think maybe in the next rules, they adjusted that. So at three, you got one and that was it. I could be wrong or three. And then at four dots, you got a plus one to the original skill. I can't remember. So what happens is let's say you have perception plus firearms. Your perception is three average or better than average a little bit. And your firearms, let's say it's now at three, right? You've turned it to three and you're like, okay, let's say you did get um, strong as an ox. So when you started this character, you're like, listen, man, 
I'm quick, right? I'm quick to, I'm quick twitch. But because of that, as a pastime, I was a skeet shooter. Now skeet shooting with shotguns does require quick fucking twitch reactions, even though it's a larger gun. But those quick twitch reactions are able to be done because those guns have super low loads for their shot. It's not super strong. You can hold those one-handed and almost have no recoil. It's just there to break up some clay. But let's say you're using those skills and you're like, okay, man, I, I like this. I've decided I was a skeet shooter, but I've used these two things to sort of make myself, you know, uh, be better with a shotgun. And that's my specialty as a shotgun. I'm really good at aiming and firing. And you get that extra point and you're like, what should I spend it on? And you can use your idiom originally. You can use your strong as an ox and you can just go there. But you could also use that to indicate that maybe now you've got a plus one with a weapon you're not accustomed to. Or it's not as much of a detriment because I will tell you, somebody who says they can shoot a shotgun, meaning they can now instantly shoot a handgun is full of shit. In fact, you've, I've seen people with nine millimeters absolutely devastated by grabbing a, a 357 at first. Now, a person who's a solid gunsmith, that's all they do. They'll be able to grab into that and gravitate towards that. But it takes a true marksman of which there are not a lot in the world that are able to instantly jump high calibers in handguns. Sometimes they can do it in rifles uh, because of the way that's done, but you get my drift. And then it, everybody's going to have to come to uh, accounts for the, the drop of a bullet and all those kind of things and where to shoot depending on the bullet, because depending on the caliber, you may have to go for a kind of shot that, you know, you may not have gone with, with a different one. So that's what we would do. I would say, I would say idioms help a great deal, especially for newcomers, but they are not required. And if something doesn't fit, Fuck it. Do one of one of really three things when you get an idiom, if you're using them for skills and attributes. One, when they make sense, merge them up. Two, if they don't make sense, see if the opposite does. See if doing something completely opposite does. Hey, I got a high perception, but I got this weird strong as a strong as an ox for firearms. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Be like, okay. Let's say like you've trained sort of to get away from the quick tw twitch. And one of the things you've taken up is the Zen like art of archery and your the firearms is really, you know, crossbows, let's say. And so it's changed to that. And so instead of, you know, having a super high caliber, you have a normal weapon, but it sort of explains into your character. It's like, this is my, this is my time to get away from my stress and my quick twitch reactions that are naturally inbred in me. And I've sort of, you know, begun the marksman's version of a sand garden where the sand garden are those weapons. And I've gone a little bit different than the expectation because playing against types is fantastically easy to do with idioms because you just either choose the idiom itself or you go sort of the opposite of the idiom. And when you have two, like an attribute that's got an idiom, uh, such as busy bee, and then strong as an ox in perception, then you can trade those off of each other. It's very simple. And the last option is to ignore them. And I, I'm telling you right now, there's nothing wrong with any of this. All those idioms do is give you some more role-playing meat to bounce around. You don't have to choose or, you know, pick anything that matches up, re-roll an idiom, do whatever you want, skip them. They're simply there to help. And if they hinder, they need to gazo. Like me, I'm going to gazo. We're already at like 45 minutes. It's been a longer podcast than I actually assumed it would be. And a faster one. This is all, I think, two takes, which is pretty crazy. Uh, I had to stop one time so I could go blow my nose. I think I'm getting a cold. Hopefully it's not COVID. Anyway, that'll be it for me. If you get a chance, hashtag idiom on Twitter. If you like these things, man, I would love to hear that you like it. 
Um, whether that be in Discord, baseball gear dropped in and said he likes it. I can tell people like it. You know, interaction with this continues for me to do it because you guys got to realize, at least currently, I don't get a lot of feedback on this because a lot of the places I put it up, I don't get feedback. So if you can give me feedback on iTunes in a review format, that's awesome because then I can understand it's not about the the weekly podcast. It's about the D&D podcast or on Twitter. That's awesome. That really does help. And it makes me understand, hey, there's enough people sort of following along this who who want to uh, you know, go with me on a journey of discussing all these different things. Anyway, that'll be it for me. I hope you guys have an awesome time. If you get a chance, check out the patron. If you don't, it's totally fine. I hope you have an awesome 2021.